Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 143 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. I forgot how to do it the proper way. <laughs> uh, we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how's it going, yo? It's it's going good. I got I got some stuff for you. You got some stuff for me? But I'm not, I don't wrap things. You can ask my mom. It's actually a big problem. You also Usually, just came from the store, didn't you? Well, no, this, the stuff, the, the store stuff is different. Okay. <laughs> I this was like, we're, I, we're later because you're like, oh, I'm in line at the store. <laughs> Did no, you just come from the store from buying me presents? <laughs> no, 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 no. This is different. So first we have this. Okay. <gasps> Mothman! <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. I love it because I just bought myself a little black cat pin as well. So um, my little Eevee pin can hang out next to my little Mothman pin. Just two cryptids in your life. Oh, I love it. Now this next present I can't really take full credit for. Okay. Because it was designed slash ordered by Corey of the Twin Ports Horror Society. Okay. But it is... For you. For me? Oh, my. Gosh. We're sitting across from each other, and I'm, like, reaching and bending <laughs> in order to, to reach. In case you're wondering what those sounds are. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's a left of skeptic puzzle. <laughs> 35 pieces, just to make it really difficult. Oh, and it's rainbow. <laughs> Gay. Gay. <laughs> I love rainbows. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My mom was just telling me how much she loves puzzles. And now I can be like, I am a puzzle. You are a puzzle. Not just to the people in my life, but also <laughs> as a cool thing for my podcast. So happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. That is your Halloween present from me. Like I said, I feel bad because I'm like, I can't even take credit for it. Corey made it. Uh, but I was like, you know what? Brittany needs this. I need it. <laughs> Wait, so did you get one? Or did he give this to you and you're regifting it? No, it's not in that way. Okay. It is. Um... Ah, that was so creepy. <laughs> it was very creepy. <laughs> oh, geez. Um. No, so it was made for the Ghoulish Gala. Oh, okay. As like a challenge. Oh, who can put our faces together faster? There was that one and an Uncle Clutch one. Uncle Clutch. And so it was like teams competing to make the puzzle, like put the puzzle together faster. And then afterwards, Corey's like, well, I mean... We could save it for another year to use again, or, you know, if you, you know, if you think it's something like you might want or Brittany might want, I was like, Brittany needs this. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm going to put it together and then I'm going to hang it on the wall in a frame. Nice. Like I said, Obviously. I could have, I could have been like, oh yeah, Obviously. no, this was totally me, but that would I feel wrong. It. I did it. I and would it, never get called out on it. Corey doesn't listen he to doesn't podcasts. He doesn't listen. He doesn't <laughs> listen to any podcast, let alone ours. But I would feel guilty. Yes. Yes. But thank the, you. The pin for purchase for your, you was all me. Thank you for your honesty and for providing me with a puzzle. I don't care how you got it. I thrift stuff all the time. <laughs> It's just like a clothing swap, but it was a puzzle swap, and the puzzle happened to have my face on it. So aside from the presents, uh, just had a really fun ghoulish gala weekend. Nice. Um, getting close to 
anniversary time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, getting mm-hmm. ready to build a fort. Got to carve some pumpkins. You're- you know, just generally enjoying the season. I'm sorry, you're building a fort? What kind of fort? We always build a fort on our anniversary. In the living room. We build a big fort. Oh, they, they like may- a pillow blanket fort? It's more complicated than that. Oh, Okay, you better share some photos. Then. I will. I will. I have. I have photos from every year of our fort building. I love that. <laughs> we build a fort, have a feast, and celebrate our anniversary while watching scary movies. It's our favorite thing. Well, that's what you do if you get married on Halloween. Exactly. I don't know that many people include the fort part, but you know what? <laughs> if you're an adult and you can't remember the last time you built a fort. And I don't mean just like, oh, I draped a blanket over this. I mean, build yourself a fort. Use twinkle lights. Use the ironing board. Use every sheet you have in the house and build yourself an epic fort. I promise you, you will not be disappointed when you're hanging out in that fort. That is my advice to all of our listeners out there. All right. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. <laughs> I'm just thinking about what I would make a fort out of. <laughs> you you are permanently cold. You cannot tell me that you don't have 8,000 blankets in this house. I do. I, there are so many. In fact, underneath the couch that you're sitting on, there are like six. That's what I'm just, yeah. 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 Um, I'm good. I watched Totally Killer. What'd you think? Well, I actually watched it twice because I watched it by myself. And then Steve and I, I was like, I really want to watch like a Halloween-y movie. And he's like, I don't like scary movies. I was like, well, this one, you know, it's not as scary. It's funny. And so I watched it literally the next day again. And I thought it was great. It's amazing. It really goes to show you how good it is if I can watch it literally two days in a row and be totally fine. Totally fine. Totally killer. Totally fine. (laughs) I am curious because it did have a few like creepy-ish parts in it. Did Steve ever hide under a sweater or a blanket? Because that's my favorite thing was to, in high school, was to go see horror movies with Stephen Libby and Travis McNellis and have them hide respectively on either side of me with their face like in their hoodie and then their hats because they always both were always wore hats pulled down. So there's just this tiny little crack. And then they could just close their eyes when yep. it got too scary. Yeah. They were wimps. Um, no, Horror movie wimps. They, uh, no, yeah, I don't think so. Okay. Just check. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't paying that much attention. We were sitting on different seats. Okay. Across the room from each other. But then last night we got to watch Casper. Oh, oh heart melty. Devin Sawa, can I keep you? (laughs) I remembered all of it. And Steve's like, I don't remember any of this movie. He's like, what's the treasure? And I'm like, are you kidding me? What? You don't remember what the treasure is? He's like, I don't remember anything from this movie. I was like, okay. I don't remember most of that movie. Oh, I watch it at least once a year. But I do remember finding the main Villain, very attractive. Something about that voice that she's got. Oh, Kerrigan. Yeah. And then also the joke about that that one of the uncle ghosts make uh, about saying, pardon me, sir, do you have any gray poop on you? Instead of gray poop on. I don't remember that part. (laughs) 
I think it's just like an offshoot thing where one of the ghosts comes in and they're telling a joke about a like pigeon and is like, do you have any great poop on you? Oh. Unless it's from the cartoon. I don't remember that at all. It's in there. It's some. It's there. It's a Casper-related thing, thing for that, sure. That I know of. Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we should uh, probably crack into it. All right. Let's do this. Y'all, it's that time of year again. The haunted ship is back. Yes. The spooky canoe. The spooky canoe. The spooky canoe. Every October, Duluth's William A. Irvin transforms into the haunted ship, a self-guided walking nightmare haunted experience. It's one of mine and Kayla's favorite things to do during spooky season. So if you haven't ever, or heck, even if you have in past years, it's a little different every year. You're going to want to go check it out. You can check it out multiple times a year. I usually do about three. (laughs) It runs Thursday through Saturday all October long with a couple extra days sprinkled in, including Halloween night. I would definitely recommend purchasing tickets in advance. Pay the extra five bucks. Skip the line with a fast pass ticket. And if you're looking to trick or treat yourself, check out this year's new VIP experience. For more information about the ship, Ticket prices, discount days, and all of the know before you go, head to the website at DuluthHauntedShip.com. And prepare yourself to walk through the dark, eerie hallways. Don't be surprised if you get the feeling that you're not alone, because you won't be. In this ship, no place is safe. We're back. So this is our last week of Urban Legends October. Um, Halloween is on a Tuesday this year. Just barely missing that where our last episode of Urban Legends October could be on Halloween. How dare. How absolute dare. But you know what? It is what it is. Are we on Halloween next year? No, because it's a leap year. I think that's changing it. Oh, God damn it. Yeah, it'll be it, it'll be fine. So as we all know, our final week, we just get to choose whatever the heck we want, Urban Legends wise. We don't have a theme this week. It's whatever we want. Yeah. Yeah. So, whatever we want. Whatever we want. So I decided. Where's my joke? Oh, shoot. You know, this is why you're responsible for remembering things. I put it directly on your seat. I know, and that's how bad my memory is. <laughs> so we have these spooky joke cards that were gifted by my grandma. Uh, let's do a couple of jokes here. Yeah, Kayla's like, we're going to do these every week. And we did them one week, and then she forgot. Yeah, I'm terrible, okay? And then this week, I literally put them on the couch where she sits, and she moved them over and then forgot them again. <laughs> Where do baby ghosts go during the day? I don't know. The day scare center. Oh. (laughs) I was trying to think of something with boo, and I was like, "Mm, nope, I got nothing. What is a ghoul's favorite flavor? Lemon and slime. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) Gross. (laughs) 
That one was yucky, Kayla. Actually, that one kind of goes right really good into what I'm doing this week. Oh, okay. Because I decided I wanted to cover a subject I always find interesting, freaky foods. What? That's right. I will be exploring some urban legends surrounding foods and issues involving said foods. I don't even know what that means. Like, okay. I, what? What? My first example. Pop rocks and soda. Okay. Okay. I'm putting together why you have some things next to you right now. There we go. Okay. So, we've all heard the urban legend that if you eat these awesome candies and drink a soda at the same time, your stomach will boil and explode and you will die. Yep. Yep. We all heard that as a kid. Pop rocks were invented in 1956 by general foods researcher scientist William A. Mitchell and introduced into the general public in 1975. They are a carbonated candy made from sugar, lactose, corn syrup, and flavoring, and they release a small amount of carbonation when eaten. That's what causes the kind of crackly, explodey sound when they sit on your tongue. Though the confection has been extensively tested and found safe, the combustive candy still causes quite a bit of alarm, especially in Seattle when it first came out. To the point where the Food and Drug Administration set up a telephone hotline there to assure anxious parents that the fizzing candy would not cause their children to choke. There, there was why a legitimate Seattle? worry. in Se- I don't know why Seattle, but there was a legitimate worry enough in Seattle that they the FDA made this hotline for people to call because... For with questions regarding Pop Rocks and if it will cause their child to choke. Wow. Despite their assurances, it didn't stop people from spreading rumors about what will happen if you eat them. For example, the little tale started being posted on the internet in the mid to like late 90s saying that a kid ate six bags of Pop Rocks at a party. He then proceeded to drink a six pack of Pepsi. The two substances combined in his stomach and exploded, killing him horribly. And this is why Pop Rocks were taken off the market in the early 80s. First of all, if you eat six packs of Pop Rocks and then drink six things of Pepsi, you're just going to have gut rot. I doubt, like, the kid didn't die, but you're going to feel terrible. I mean, you'd feel terrible if you just had six cans of Pepsi Pepsi. in a row. (laughs) The carbonation alone. (laughs) So mixing the candy and carbonated drinks will cause the stomach to explode is a story, right? That is where the urban legend of playground lore saying that the kid known as Little Mikey from the Life Cereal commercials was said to have died from this combination. Mikey likes it. Hey, Mikey. So why Little Mikey of all people? It makes sense in the way that he was known but not known. Like everyone knew who Little Mikey was, but nobody actually knew the actor. He was in like, 200 commercials but he wasn't like a mainstream actor that people knew his name or did anything like that right so when you're spreading an urban legend it helps to have like a not easily provable exactly well known enough to catch your attention so it's not just a friend of a friend but not someone that you can easily just be like oh yeah actually they still live down the street that's a lie yeah so Contrary to rumor, John Gilchrist, the actor who starred in as Little Mikey and in multiple other commercials, not only survived his childhood, 
unexploded, but is now director of media sales for MSG Networks. Oh. And Pop Rocks were not banned in the 80s. Uh, The company stopped marketing Pop Rocks around 1983. And this is often pointed to as proof that the candy is so harmful that it had to be pulled from the shelves. But what actually happened is Kraft bought the rights to the product from General Foods in 1985 Mm -hmm. and then marketed it as Action Candy. So they changed the name. Okay. But it was still out there, but it just wasn't Pop Rocks. But I remember eating Pop Rocks in but, the 90s. But that's just it, is then after like after a while, I think, from what I can tell, Action Candy didn't do too well. No, because what a stupid name. Yeah, Pop Rocks came back. Yeah, and you that's can, what they do. And you can still eat Pop Rocks to this day. Yeah. A similar story that has been spread is about eating Mentos and drinking Coke or Diet Coke. Supposedly, if you eat Mentos and drink Coke, you will die because it will cause your stomach to explode. This was then perpetuated by people going on to like try dumping Mentos in bottles of Coke or Diet Coke and watching how it explodes. And they're like, that's what happens in your stomach if you do this. You know, it's weird. I'm very well aware of the Mentos and Coke thing, but not... The idea that if you eat it, something bad will happen. I just know that people do it to watch like it. There was a urban legend that went around that two different kids died after eating Mentos and then drinking Coca-Cola. Well, shit. Now, I was going to go and show y'all the story of the Pop Rocks and soda and how Pop Rocks and soda are perfectly fine. But everyone sold out of Pop Rocks. Like, I could see the spots in stores where Pop Rocks are supposed to exist. And I can't find the Pop Rocks, which sucks because I love Pop Rocks. So instead, we're forced to go the old Mentos and Coke route. Sorry if I die horribly on your couch, Brittany. You know, it's okay, though, because I'm recording it. Oh, well, that's nice. So then they'll know it's not murder, at least. Content. All right. You know what? I... I don't even like Mentos. No, they're not a very good flavor. I thought they were chewy. They're supposed to be, but these ones are rather stale. (laughs) I know, they're crunching. Probably because they're not purchased too often. (laughs) It's probably because they're not very good. We'll do some creative editing here. Mentos fresh goes better when Mentos fresh and full of life. Mentos, the the fresh fresh maker. maker. All right. Jesus. (laughs) Jesus. <laughs> oh my God. It hurts. <laughs> it just doesn't taste very good. No, it tastes like old people. <laughs> Brittany, why do you know what old people taste like? It's because they eat so many Mentos. <laughs> okay, it's a little bit of an assumption rather than a factual statement, but. All right, so I just ate two-thirds of a pack of Mentos all in one. Yep, you did. That's part of why that was so difficult. I think they're supposed to be mostly enjoyed for, like... Singular use? Yeah, (laughs) but here we go. Fresh Coca-Cola, untampered with. Ooh. (laughs) You're going to be so burpy for the rest of the podcast. (laughs) And I just chugged a half a bottle of Coke. And I'm not dead. 
Yes. My stomach isn't exploded. How does it feel? My mouth is unpleasantly minty. <laughs> and then the taste of Coke. Oh, yeah, they don't complement each other well. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I don't feel sick. I don't feel explodey. I might feel a little burpy for a while. But for right now, unless I die later on in this uh, episode, in which case, hopefully, Brittany will still put this episode out. Uh, we're going to assume total nurnass right here. Yeah, I'll put a content. <laughs> I'll put a content warning uh, if a, if Just, you end up dying. Thank you. You should also put a content warning for that specific stretch. We'll be like from here to here. You just have to hear Kayla eating, so avoid that if you want. <laughs> I'll cut most of that out. <laughs> you think I want to hear that? <laughs> I already heard it once. <sighs> All right. Myth dispelled. Onward. Just call you Kayla the Mythbuster. Onward we march. Yeah, I had put in my notes Pop Rocks example, and then I couldn't find any Pop Rocks. Oh, sad. So that's one set of freaky foods is around, you know, candies exploding your stomach. Another favorite food urban legend, and one that didn't gain as much of a urban legend status, like as high, mm-hmm. uh, but it genuinely tricked a lot of people was back in the Wild West days of the internet, a.k.a. the late 90s, early 2000s, when a lot of us were allowed to roam the internet unsupervised. The amount of chat rooms I just (laughs) talked to random people in. Yep. ASL. And at that time, as we've discussed in the past, chain emails were all the rage. Oh, yes. Yes. While some were the standard, forward this to 10 people or a curse will befall you. Others were much more believable okay and it would trick people into forwarding these emails everywhere spreading a lot of scary misinformation Mm. Mm -hmm. i can smell the mentos from here (laughs) it's just projecting out of your mouth here is one such email recently this disease has decimated the monkey population in costa rica It is advised not to purchase bananas for the next three weeks, as this is the period of time for which the bananas that have been shipped to the United States have the possibility of carrying this disease. If you have eaten a banana in the last two to three days and have come down with a fever followed by a skin infection, seek medical attention. The skin infection is very painful and eats two to three centimeters of flesh per hour. Amputation is likely. Death is possible. And then the email continues with its request asking you to forward to this as to as many people as possible so that everybody can be made aware. Two to three centimeters per hour? Holy yes. shit. Yeah, so, I'm thinking an- amputation is really quite likely. So this chain email began to spread across the internet in late 1999, reporting that bananas imported from Central America could infect people with necrotizing fasciitis. A rare disease in which the skin erupts into boils before disintegrating and peeling away from the muscle and bone. It is a rare, like, disease, but it is a real disease. And Mm -hmm. they were saying that this was on bananas that people were eating. And they also advised that if you are more than an hour from a medical center, burn the flesh ahead of the infected area to help slow the spread of infection. Ouch. Yeah, but I mean, if you already have a flesh-eating virus... (laughs) 
According to the email signed by a non-existent Mannheim Research Institute, anonymous researchers at the MRI state that the disease has been able to graft itself to the skin of fruits in the region, most notably the banana. And then the email also stated that the federal government isn't issuing a banana alert for fear of causing a panic. Oh, no, not a lack of a banana alert. (laughs) So as far as I can find, it's still not known who started this email chain. But an employee at the University of California, Riverside, like they have this renowned agricultural school Mm -hmm. in the area. This employee received that email, viewed it as a joke, did not take it seriously, and passed it along to her sister and some friends outside of the university to show like, hey, look at this funny email I got. Seriously? Come on, guys. And with that forwarding, all of a sudden, the University of California's name became attached (gasps) to the rumor, giving it further credibility in people's eyes. The staffer's computer automatically added her name and UCR office as a postscript in the email. And when that email continued to circulate, it made it appear that the university backed the story. To make matters worse, someone along the line pasted the like University of California Riverside's name at the top as the warning's source. No. So that was in January 21st of 2000. After that, UCR had fielded about 50 emails each day about the story, said Chris Lovkin, who was a spokesperson for the university. People also called the university phone number attached when the email was forwarded. (laughs) Can you imagine being the person taking those calls initially? Like when it when they first started happening before they figured out what went wrong. And they're like, tell me about this flesh-eating banana virus. And they're like, I have no idea. This is the fifth call I've had today, Sharon. What is up with what this flesh-eating banana virus? So some people that called believed the rumor and are worried about banana-related dangers. Other people just called because they figured it was fake but wanted to know how the university's name got attached to it. Um, UCR's agricultural school responded to each email with a message debunking the story. And Lovekin said that was kind of a nightmare for them. Mm-hmm. 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 And the Center for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta and the FDA also called the university about the hoax email. Like this got spread enough that the FDA got involved and the CDC. And... They, you know, dispelled it. They were like, this is what happened. This person had an email. They thought it was funny. And then it spread from there. What is a little tiny bit of irony, UCR Agricultural Center doesn't study bananas. Lovekin said, bananas are not our thing. We're more into citrus. (laughs) (laughs) By January 28th of 2000, Public concern was great enough that the CDC had to issue a statement denying the risks. They pointed out that the so-called flesh-eating bacteria are usually spread person-to-person contact, not Mm -hmm. through food surfaces. But the response only poured fuel onto the flames as people forgot the correction, but remembered the scary details and thought again, (laughs) government conspiracy. Yep, exactly. Within weeks, the CDC was hearing from so many distressed callers that it was forced to set up a banana hotline and was 
<laughs> it was old. It took until the end of that full year of 2000 for the panic to fully die down as the as people realize that the epidemic never actually happened. Hilarious. And and in the meantime, banana sales plummeted. <laughs> Poor banana sales. <sighs> Some freaky food urban legends center around fast food chains. Um, every fast food chain seems to get its own urban legend. Mm-hmm. Uh, worms in McDonald's hamburgers, roaches in Taco Bell tacos, uh, snakes in the Burger King play area ball pits. Ew. You know? But one of the weirdest to me has to be around KFC and the reason they changed their name. Okay. For 39 years, Kentucky Fried Chicken held tight to the name that the founder, Colonel Sanders, gave to it in 1952 when they started. But then in 1991, after four decades of their delicious goodness, the Louisville-based chicken chain ruffled feathers all over the world when it announced it was changing its name to KFC. And an email chain letter began circulating shortly after the name change. KFC has been a part of our American traditions for many years. Many people, day in and day out, eat KFC religiously. Do they really know what they are eating? During a recent study of KFC done at the University of New Hampshire, they found some very upsetting facts. First of all, has anyone noticed just recently the company changed their name? Kentucky Fried Chicken has become KFC. Does anyone know why? We thought the real reason was because of the fried food issue. It's not. The reason why they call it KFC is because they can no longer use the word chicken. Why? KFC does not use real chicken. They actually use genetically manipulated organisms. These so-called chickens are kept alive by tubes inserted into their bodies to pump blood and nutrients throughout their structure. They have no beaks, no feathers, and no feet. Their bone structure is dramatically shrunk to get more meat out of them. This is great for KFC because they don't have to pay so much for their production costs. I was like, this sounds like way more production costs. It sounds significantly (laughs) more production costs. There is no more plucking of the feathers or the removal of the beaks and feet. The government has told them to change all of their menus so they don't say chicken anywhere. They still say chicken everywhere. It says chicken everywhere. If you look closely, you will notice this. Listen to their commercials. I guarantee you will not hear or see the word chicken. I find this matter to be very disturbing. I hope people will start to realize this and let other people know. Please forward this message to as many people as you can. Together, we can make KFC start using real chicken again. That seems so easily debunkable. Even just like, at least the menu aspect of it. Oh, it gets it gets crazier. Oh, okay. So other versions of this tale featured a six-legged chicken, uh, chickens with six wings, um, birds so plumped up by chemicals that their gigantic breasts made it impossible for them to keep their balance enough to walk. The rumors were sometimes shared along with photos of featherless, scary-looking chickens without beaks and a bunch of skinny, freaky wings. Again, with the irony, ironically, some of the photos being used to spread this rumor Uh were made by a skeptical Photoshopper who was doing it to show how easy it is to make fake pictures. (laughs) The email spread the conspiracy theory that the restaurant used genetically modified chickens, which is why it was forced to remove chicken from its name. KFC quickly debunked the claim, but that hasn't stopped the mutant chicken rumor from popping up every few years. 
In fact, KFC was forced to publicly address the allegations again as recently as 2014. Wow. They're like, God damn it. Can we at least have a different rumor? (laughs) Their post goes like, we want the snakes in the ball pit thing. Right. (laughs) Maybe some people think that's cool. Their public statement is as follows. The internet is good for lots of things. Cat videos, questionable medical diagnoses, and wildly imaginative urban legends, including the KFC mutant chicken myth. This myth has been perpetuated over several decades by a widely circulated email hoax. The hoax claims that Kentucky Fried Chicken changed its name to KFC because it was forced to eliminate the word chicken from its brand name, purportedly because KFC meat came from mutant chickens with extra legs and no beaks. (laughs) We can set the record straight. No mutated or genetically engineered chickens are involved in making our delicious KFC chicken. Just 100% real chicken from U.S. farms, which have to pass over 30 quality checks and USDA inspections before being hand-prepared by one of our cooks. Ultimately, less than 10% of chickens meet KFC's high standards for quality, which includes no artificial hormones or steroids, a federal regulation. No mutated chickens are involved in making our delicious fried chicken. So let's put the great KFC mutant chicken myth to rest, shall we? Though urban legends about mutated KFC meat are good for a laugh, on a KFC chicken farm, the chicken is 100% real, just like the Colonel's time-honored secret recipe. Um, So additionally, KFC spokesman Rick Maynard told Business Insider, there is absolutely no truth to this ridiculous urban legend, which has been debunked many times. KFC uses only top poultry from trusted companies like Tyson and Pilgrim's Pride, the same brands customers buy at their local supermarkets. Because one thing that they're saying is that KFC has these giant farms everywhere and like factories where this is happening. Right. But they are actually so large that it would be nearly impossible for them to have a secret facility because the cost to meet the amount of chicken they actually put out there is like they don't make their own chicken. They don't have their own chicken farms. They buy from other companies. Uh, The way the chicken chain tells it, they pivoted to KFC simply because it has fewer syllables. And also, nixing the word fried would make it easier to appeal to people who are trying to be more health conscious. Mm. So it did go along with the, like, trying to eliminate the fried thing. There was that whole period where, like, so many fast food chains got rid of certain words off of their menu because they thought it would make them seem more appealing or healthy. Which is interesting because now... Mind you, I've literally never had KFC, but just because it doesn't say fried doesn't mean that I don't know that it's fried chicken. But it's the same thing like when McDonald's had the salads. They made a big deal out of the salads. Well, yeah, the salads are lettuce, but they still had crispy chicken on top. Like it's, it was just all about trying to appeal to more health conscious Yeah. Like way to justify it, I guess. Uh, By the way, before we switch from this KFC thing. You know about their Twitter account, right? Yeah. About the 11 herbs and spices. They follow 11 accounts. And it's made up of the Spice Girls. And the rest of the 11 is made up of guys named Herb. (laughs) (laughs) So it's 11 herbs and spices. That's funny. I like that a lot. Another thing that KFC has put out there is that They also got rid of the Kentucky Fried Chicken also to explain that they have more than just chicken. 
I guess that makes sense. They've definitely like expanded exactly their menu a lot more over the years. It should be noted that KFC's website clearly describes the company's product as chicken many times. And their website is still KentuckyFriedChicken.com. See, these are, again, all really easily debunkable things. <laughs> and that also isn't the whole story. According to Harvard Business Review, the name change actually might have stemmed from a trademark issue with the state of Kentucky. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, a Snopes report said that in 1990, the debt-riddled Commonwealth of Kentucky <laughs> took the unusual step of trademarking its name. Following that action, anyone using the word Kentucky for business reasons would have to pay licensing fees to the state. Hmm. So KFC it is shorter. It does eliminate the word fried, but it might actually be just because they didn't want to have to pay the state of Kentucky to keep using their name that already existed. What did you call it? The debt-riddled state of Kentucky? Yeah, that was the uh, Harvard Business Review's description. The debt-riddled state of Kentucky. That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, no mutant chickens. That's good. That's good. I'm glad y'all aren't eating mutant chickens. I hardly get to eat KFC. I love KFC, but it's very expensive. Is it? It's, it's not cheap. Okay. Well, I mean, it's because they use quality chicken. Obviously. With no hormones or added byproducts. Oh, man. Now I just want some KFC coleslaw. Oh, I love coleslaw. <laughs> anyway. what, about, what about the gravy? The gravy is also amazing. That's what I heard. <laughs> All right. And finally, the ultimate food-related urban legend, the reason for the season, is Halloween it, candy. I was going to say, is it candy corn? No, 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 no. I maintain that candy corn is just crayons. I love candy corn as long as it's made by Brock's. I just, I, crayons. That's what it tastes like to me. Mm, mm, mm. And then you get the people that tell you that the candy corn pumpkin is different than the candy corn. They all taste the same. No, they crayons. taste differently. <laughs> I agree with them. <laughs> I'm one of those people. <laughs> oh, geez. As one of the most Enduring urban legends at this time of year, there is the myth that Halloween candy is frequently tampered with. Mm. We all did it mm -hmm. as children. You get home from your trick-or-treating, you throw all the candy on the, round, on the ground, and you go through it. Yeah, you got to check your candy. Make sure everything's wrapped, nothing's yep. tampered with, anything like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Main, mainly, I did it so that we could do trade Z's on the candy that oh. I wanted versus. But well, yeah, but you that's were also what you do supposed, if you have siblings. <laughs> but that's what you're supposed to do is go through it to make sure that nothing's been tampered with. Yeah, you used to be able to bring it to the police station and they'd check it too. Yep, yep. They did. I don't know if places still do that, but that was a thing for a while for sure. In the '90s, it was every year. Stories of razor blades and Milky Ways, acid laced sweet tarts, and cyanide pixie sticks make their rounds. Even the famous advice column and Landers, which actually existed before Dear Abby. Around here, we have Dear Abby, mm -hmm. but Ann Landers, I guess, was a precursor to that. Yeah, Dear Abby, how long is that? It's very old. It's been a long time. Okay. So uh, Ann Landers published a column in 1995 warning us against the mad poisoner saying, in recent years, there have been reports of multiple people with twisted minds putting razor blades and poison in taffy apples and Halloween candy. They put that in that article. Wow. They didn't cite a source, 
But I suppose, you know, Anne and Abby never really did cite their sources. Well, no, because they're an advice columnist, not uh, <laughs> like a journalist. According to Snopes, there has never been a verified incident where poisoned Halloween candy was handed out at random in an attempt to harm children. There are some stories around the world that have perpetuated these rumors. One of the most notable and most famous is the murder of eight-year-old Timothy Mark O'Brien at the hands of his father, Ronald Clark O'Brien, in Houston, Texas. Um, The child died at 10 p.m. on Halloween of 1974 as a result of eating cyanide-laced pixie sticks acquired while trick-or-treating. I remember this crime. Yep. To make this act appear more like the work of a random madman, the father, Ron O'Brien, gave poison pixie sticks to his son, but also his daughter and three other children that they had been trick-or-treating with. Yeah. Fortunately, none of the other children ate the candy, but there was still one very sad death that Halloween. The prosecution proved that the father had purchased cyanide and had, along with a neighbor, accompanied the group of children on their, like, door-to-door trick-or-treating. None of the places visited that night. They went and checked everything out. Yeah. Nobody was handing out pixie sticks. And it was, wasn't it the big ones? I think so, yes, because it was resealed. It was yeah, like the big, the big plastic, plastic ones. ones. Yeah. yeah. Mark was insured for a large sum of money, and the collecting of the life insurance has always been given as the motive behind um, Ron O'Brien's murder plan. Or he was just a bad dad. Though the case is circumstantial because no one actually saw the father poison the candy or slip the pixie stick into the boy's bag, Ron O'Brien was convicted of murder in May of 1975, and he received the death sentence and was executed on March 31st of 1984. But that's not an example of this urban legend because the O'Brien murder was an attempt to use a well-known urban legend to cover up the premeditated murder of one child. So he was using this pre-existing urban legend to try to do that. Right. Like, see, see, it It, happened to me. Exactly. Another attempt to utilize this urban legend uh, was in 1970. On the 2nd of November in 1970, five-year-old Kevin Tosin collapsed in a coma and died four days later of a heroin overdose. Analysis of some of his Halloween candy showed that it had been sprinkled with heroin. What? This case was widely reported as a real-life account of people messing with Halloween candy and using it to, you know, murder children. murder kids. Yeah. But what was not so nearly widely circum- like circulated afterwards is that after the results of the police investigation, they concluded that the boy had accidentally gotten into his uncle's heroin stash poisoned himself, and the family had sprinkled heroin on the kid's candy after he died to protect the uncle. I mean, if your kid's already dead and you really like your uncle. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't imagine, oh. like, losing yeah, so they two were like, family members because of it, I guess. I guess, but. Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, 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 no. <laughs> you brought heroin around my child? I'm calling the police on you. I'm not sprinkling his candy with your heroin to try to cover that up. Well, maybe the parents also do heroin. That might also be. Either way. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not great. (laughs) Nothing about this is good. Uh, Another strange case that can fit into the category but doesn't quite fit 
is the odd case of Helen Feel, a Greenlawn, New York housewife who was arrested in 1964 for handing out arsenic-laced ant poison buttons as part of a Halloween joke. Allegedly, she was annoyed at how many trick-or-treaters were out there that she felt were too old to be trick-or-treating. What? So she decided to poison them? So she made a second group of, like, treats in bags that included dog biscuits, steel wool pads, and ant buttons, which were clearly marked poison. They were still in the packaging as, like, ant traps. She also took the precaution of telling all these teenagers who she felt were too old to be trick-or-treating that this is a joke. They're not getting any candy. This is what you get. So she gave them a pack of, like, dog treats, steel wool, and Just ant garbage. Traps. Just garbage. She's like, you shouldn't be doing this. You don't get candy. You get trash. <laughs> um, but <laughs> this was still too, like, potentially harmful. So nobody got hurt. Nobody tried to eat the ant like traps or anything That's good. That's but good. the word got around of what she was doing and she was arrested and pled guilty to endangering children and eventually received a suspended sentence i'm just really curious as to what she thought was too old <laughs> in my opinion if you show up on my door and you want candy i'll probably give you candy i don't really think i, I don't i don't think i care i don't care yep i don't care i do get slightly annoyed when i see like people trick or treating in like a hoodie and jeans. Oh yeah, if you're not, I'm like just wear a costume, man. Right. Draw cat. Draw draw cat like whiskers on your face. Right. Unless something. unless they give you something like, oh, I'm Elliot from ET. See, even then, I would accept it. Yeah. Yep. In 2001, four year old Tiffany Trong of Vancouver died a day after ingesting candy she picked up trick or treating on Halloween. Police reacted by issuing an alert to the area parents to dump whatever goodies their kid had collected. But then, after the investigation, they ultimately pegged it as non-contagious, sepsis-causing streptococcus bacteria, which can cause everything from strep throat to a flesh-eating disease. The Halloween candy that Tiffany ate played absolutely zero part in her death. She just happened to have eaten it. And then got sick. Mm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, all those kids, though. Got all their candy thrown out. They're like, Mom! (laughs) There are tons of other stories like this throughout history. All stories of children whose death were blamed on Halloween candy, sometimes with a media circus following, but ultimately it coming down to shitty adults or unrelated health concerns being the issue. Joel Best, a professor of sociology at California State University, Fresno, worked for decades to debunk this urban legend looks like it was for over 30 years that he worked on this jesus he said we checked major newspapers from throughout every country from 1958 through 1988 assuming any story this horrible would certainly be well reported and they found a total of 78 cases over that you know 30 year period there were two deaths the two deaths being the o'brien murder and the accidental poisoning of kevin totson Mm -hmm. Further checking proved that almost all of the 78 cases were pranks or unrelated health issues. The deaths were very tragically real, but also, again, it all just comes down to misrepresentation perpetuating an urban legend. The pranks, he said, were all of kids. After years of hearing similar stories, inserting needles or razor blades into fruit and not realizing or maybe realizing 
how much they frightened the whole town. Yep. Yep. My favorite, Bess says, was the kid who brought a half-eaten candy bar to his parents and said, I think there's ant poison on this. They had it checked, and sure enough, there was ant poison on it, significantly, on the end that he had not bitten. And it was later revealed that the kid put the poison on the candy bar himself for attention. Not cool, kid. As part of the urban legend. (sighs) Best have tried over the years to destroy this myth, but obviously it's no avail. There's... There's no way to dispel an urban legend of this magnitude. It will always continue to be spread. I also, I mean, have you ever heard of the Tylenol murders? Yes. That was referenced in a few of my sources. And like, it kind of surprises me that people haven't actually done this, given the Tylenol murders is something that really happened. Mm -hmm. Uh, Sad to say, though, foreign objects hidden in Halloween candy loot are a part of this myth. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's actually more common and I guess not more sinister, but a lot more intentional than the poisoning is. Yeah. These incidents are few and far between. Uh, Our fear of them is a lot wider than what actually happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hospitals and police departments did in the 80s and 90s take to X-raying bags of Halloween candy, as noted in the Halloween 1993 edition of the Washington Post. Of several contacts, only Maryland Hospital Center reported discovering what seemed like a real threat, a needle detected by x-ray in a candy bar in 1988. But there was never an arrest or a resolution in that case. They just found one candy bar with a needle. Mm. Um, There have been several documented cases of trick-or-treaters finding sharp objects in their late-night loot. None of these incidences have resulted in death or serious injury. And all that they were able to trace down the origins for were the result of some type of prank. That's not a very funny prank, guys. Few of these incidents uh, resulted in an arrest or conviction. In 2000, a Minneapolis man was arrested and charged with one count of adultering a substance with intent to cause death, harm, or illness after he inserted needles into Snickers bars and handed them out to neighborhood children. Only one child ended up getting pricked by the tempered candy, which did not even necessitate medical attention they like they like the kid was like eating but he didn't even like get it into his mouth like he got poked with the needle they they checked him right though to make sure it was a clean needle it did not necessitate medical attention so see and i would have at least given him medical attention then say oh but he didn't really need it well no but that's the thing when it says it doesn't necessitate medical attention they're saying that they probably took him to the hospital but it was not necessary. Okay, good. See, okay. Good, good, good. Parents fears have uh reignited this Halloween as a series of government press releases revealed the existence of drugs disguised as candy. In August, the US Drug Enforcement Administration issued a press release about rainbow fentanyl. Brightly colored pills of the drug that could be a new strategy to appeal to children and young adults. That is a real thing. Drug dealers and people trying to get people hooked will often try to make things more appealing. It's the same idea as uh, nicotine companies like cigarettes, whatever. There's a reason that Duluth doesn't sell flavored tobacco unless it's in a smoke shop anymore is because they're trying to cut down the appeal to younger kids, which everybody knows if you get them hooked young. That's how, they keep, life. that's how you keep going. 
Earlier this month, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department seized a large shipment of the drug, which has been hidden in candy boxes as a way to hide it. So this is ramping all of this up again. In 2021, attorney general across the country warned parents to be vigilant about cannabis edibles ending up in Halloween candy. Many cannabis companies parody popular brands and their packaging, such as Sour Patch Kids and Oreos, which could lead to accidental consumption by unwitting children. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, no stoners are trying to give your kids their their pot. It's too expensive. It's too expensive. I can see how it could accidentally be mistaken, yeah. and that is absolutely true. Yep, you should just double check, make sure it's safe. Yep, but always, it's not, always check everything, but I promise you... It's not on purpose. No stoner is trying to give away their edibles because... They might just be they want them for themselves. too stoned. They might just be too stoned. Uh, although these headlines have caught public attention, experts say it's unlikely drugs will find their way into children's hands. There is no evidence the dealers are sneaking drugs into Halloween candy and disguising illegal narcotics as candy. There has been few cases where children were poisoned by cannabis edibles, but all of them were accidents rather than the work of a malicious neighbor or a stranger. Nobody's trying to... Give nope, away their drugs. No one's giving, yeah. Yeah, no one's giving away their drugs. <laughs> I mean, maybe <laughs> if they were an adult, but children, no. Tr- children trick-or-treating are too young. They don't have their own money. It'd be a waste. <laughs> so this is the food-related freaky urban legends that I found the most interesting. I love that. What do you got for me this week? <laughs> okay, so uh, I have a, a little bit of a disclaimer at the beginning. But not like our normal disclaimers. This is a weird one. Oh, oh okay. Okay. I'm intrigued. Color me intrigued. Uh, except for you already know this part. This is for the audience. All right. So as we mentioned last week, I've had my topic for our last Urban Legends October free-for-all week picked out since I think actually August. Yep. Yep. It's been on there. I'm really excited about it. (laughs) Uh, So boy, was I surprised when yesterday I tuned into this week's And That's Why We Drink episode and heard Em announce that their topic this week (laughs) was the lore behind black cats. (laughs) Because that's my topic that I've had picked out since August. She really wants it to be known that she's not ripping off one of her most favorite beloved, beloved podcast. She's like, no, I, she, she, she was so upset I, when she messaged me. I literally <laughs> sent Kayla a message that said, God damn it. <laughs> but Kayla said I should do it anyway. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so actually I haven't listened to their story yet. Oh, it'll be interesting for you to listen later and see I how know. much crossover there is. Or I really hope that they didn't do like a significantly better job than I did. I'd feel bad. I think a lot of our listeners don't listen to And That's Why We Drink. Well, y'all are silly. It's really good. By the time we got started, Uh Em and Christine were so far into their thing, it's intimidating to like try to be like, oh, I'm going to catch up with this. It's, it's, I don't even really listen to And That's Why We Drink because when you recommended it to me and then when we started, I was like, there's just so much, so much here. Oh my God, I plow through it so fast. <laughs> so yeah. So again, I didn't listen to M's story. I did fast forward to Christine's true crime story, which interestingly enough took place in Minnesota. Oh, nice. So as M would say, the whole thing was bananas. Just bananas. Possibly noodles all the way to the top. 
It was just flesh-eating bananas. <laughs> it was just flesh-eating bananas. It was flesh-eating bananas. Absolute <laughs> necrotizing fasciitis bananas. So I am still going to tell you the lore behind black cats because they are amazing. I have one, and I think it's really interesting. Uh, but I did just want to address, and I know Em did it this week as well, uh, but I've had this topic on my list for a really long time, okay? We okay. believe you. Everybody okay. believes you, Brittany. Everybody right. believes you. Good. Good. So, it's October. <laughs> it's spooky season. Your face went from so, like, ugh, to like, it's October. <laughs> <laughs> and among the various symbols and decor that we use to celebrate this time of year, pumpkins, ghosts, crows, witches, and so on and so on, there is also one particular kind of feline that gets the Halloween stamp of approval. The black cat. Bum, bum, bum. But why, you might ask? Why? Well, I'll tell you. Thanks. Thanks for that cue there. That was great. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> you've probably heard at least a couple of different reasons, like black cats are unlucky. Bullshit. Or they are associated with witches. Uh, according to Western culture, that is. But where did these ideas come from? Well, the history. <laughs> sorry, sorry, continue. Well, <laughs> the history and lore surrounding black cats is old and extensive, with some of the first stories being traced back to ancient Egypt particularly that of the goddess Bastet, or Bast. Bastet, whose origin can be traced back to as early as the Second Dynasty, or around 2900 BCE, was originally depicted as a lioness goddess, a role that was shared with other goddesses like Sakmet, who were eventually seen as two parts of the same goddess, the goddess of the sun. Okay, I think I knew about Sakmet. Yeah. Uh, they're basically, yeah, like I said, they're basically two parts of the same goddess. I think that they were originally one and then they kind of like branched off into okay. two over hundreds of years. Depicted as the daughter of Ra and Isis, Bastet was the protector of Lower Egypt, a defender of the king and of the sun god Ra. Hashtag fun fact. I used to have a cat named Ra. I believe that. After the Egyptian sun god. I believe that. And then we switched over to Greek gods and goddesses. For the names of all of our cats. Anyways. Is Evie? No, Evie picked her own name. Okay. So I don't know where it came from. I just said it. She's like, yep, that's it. And I'm like, cool. That was easy. So Bastet soon, like Sekhmet and Isis, became associated with the Eye of Ra and was said to have been a fighter against the snake Apep. Wanted to devour Ra, and I think that that would basically plunge the world into darkness. Do it. No. You don't, you made me paint the podcast a nice happy color because you said you couldn't take the darkness in the winter. <laughs> it's the different, it's different in the winter. So can this, they devour the sun only for three months of the year? So I can just have warm nighttime all the time. If there's no sun, you'd be cold. But if it was warm summer nighttime 
all the time. I don't know. My logic is flawed. Continue. Okay, so Bastet and Sekhmet were two sides of the same goddess, but where Sekhmet represented the powerful warrior and protector, Bastet, who over time was depicted as a black cat rather than a lioness, represented the gentler side of the goddess. She was the goddess of pregnancy and childbirth, of protection against contagious diseases, and against evil spirits. And while, in general, cats are held to high regard in Egypt— the black cat, which is said to be a descendant of Bastet, is believed to be divine, that gods live within them. I could see that. And while Egyptians loved black cats, over in Greece, they were not so fond of them. According to Greek mythology, Zeus's wife Hera transformed a servant. Um, and I'm sure my sister is going to correct me on the pronunciation of this name because she seems to be able to say Greek things better than I am. Uh, so this servant named Galanthias, Hera turned her into a black cat. Okay. See, Galanthias had interfered with Hera's plan to hinder the birth of Hercules, who she did not like. So Galanthias was Alchemimi's servant. Alchemimi was Hercules's mom. And Alchemimi was in labor, and it was awful. And she suffered through seven days of pain until she finally pleaded for assistance from Lucina, the goddess of childbirth, to come help her. She's like, oh, my God, this hurts so bad. It's been a whole week. <laughs> but when Lucina showed up on Hera's behalf, she actually didn't help at all. In fact, Lucina grabbed Alchemy's hands and crossed her legs, preventing her from giving birth. Is that really just all you have to do to prevent birth is just like... Cross your legs. Can't come out. Uh-uh. You're staying in there. <laughs> well, apparently, I, I think so, but it really fucking hurts. Yeah. Uh, so Galatheus noticed this and was like, whoa, that's not cool. And she told Lucina, oh, the baby's been born. And Lucina, surprised, let go of Alchemy, who actually did give birth. Well, Hera was pissed at Galatheus. Yes, I can't remember how I've been saying her name this whole time, for foiling her plans that she turned her into a black cat. After which she went to go serve the goddess Hecate, who was the goddess of magic, witchcraft, the night, moon, ghosts, and necromancy. That was Hecate. Yeah, it's not. I think that might be a different goddess. I only can think about Buffy. Well, and also uh, practical magic. Oh, yep, yep. I think that maybe it, it transformed into Hecate because that's what I knew. Okay. Um, but I did double check on a couple of different sources just to make sure. And thus the connection between black cats and witches were formed. Fast forwarding to the Middle Ages and Europe was a tizzy about witches. <laughs> and one particular story was making the rounds and it told of a father and his son who were taking a walk when they came across a black cat. And because they are monsters, they started throwing rocks at it. I get really sad for black cats in these. <laughs> so these monsters were throwing rocks at this cat and it ended up injuring the cat. But because they're assholes uh, and the injured cat ran into the house to escape further abuse. And this house is said to be inhabited by a suspected witch. So the next day, when the woman who was suspected to be a witch was seen limping and bruised, naturally, they assumed that she was the cat. Oh, of course. Ergo, black cats are evil. 
uh, the logic behind how somebody is determined to be a witch just never. I know we've talked about it so many times, but it just never fails to astound me at the stupidity. And just so frustrating. Like, yeah. Uh, uh, another popular story of the time occurred in the 1300s in France. A group of witches were accused of worshiping the devil who had taken the form of a cat. Per LearnReligions.com, quote, It may be because of the cat's nocturnal nature that it became connected to witches. After all, nighttime was the time when they held their meetings, and as far as the church was concerned, obviously they're the same thing. (laughs) And those are just two stories. But the point is that the idea that black cats were evil or bad luck spread like wildfire across Europe. And apparently their black fur also began to be associated with death. I'm guessing because it reminded people of like ravens and crows. Yeah. Ugh. And then the Catholic Church declared black cats to be the incarnates of Satan. And because, again, people are monsters, there was a mass killing of black cats because they were bad omens. You know, like, I wonder what their line was as far as like, like how, how black cat-ish did a cat have to be? Because like, we just had the pet event. Yeah. At Miller Hill Subaru. There were tons of, like, partially black cats. Black spotted, like, tuxedo cats. Yeah. Or, like, some torties that were a lot more black than brown or tan. Like, like what? I, I want to know the threshold for the Catholic Church to decide what determines a black cat or, like, just a cat. I'm thinking that they said black cats, and if people ask, they're like, just kill them to be sure. That is the Catholic Church's Because they're evil. <laughs> Monsters. Oh, jeez. Which was too bad because less cats equal more rats and more rats equal the plague. That was my other thought. I was like, man, rats seem like a more, like, at the time, rats (laughs) seem like a way more, like, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. Like, it makes sense that they would be the evil creature because they were the ones bringing on the plague. Yeah, but I don't think they knew that that's what oh, was bringing on the plague because science wasn't. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. They didn't even wash their hands before, you know, good point. helping women give birth, and then all these women died from infections. And good. You, no, you were one hundred percent correct. And you know who didn't get the plague? Witches. Why? Because they were women who had cats. <laughs> And the cats kept away the plague-infested rats, which also was another thing that made people think that they were witches because they were the only ones who weren't getting so sick. Okay, okay. Look, it's a catch-22, man. Either you get the plague and die, or you don't get the plague, you're a witch, and you get killed. It's it's turning up all zeros for everybody all All around. All zeros for all these women. (laughs) And like so many other terrible things, when Europeans made their way across the pond, they brought these superstitions with them. As one American folklorist named S.E. Schlosser said, In the 1500s, there arose the belief that witches could shapeshift themselves into the form of black cats so they could roam freely across the country, wreaking havoc and spying on people. The belief that witches could turn themselves into black cats crossed the Atlantic with the first American settlers and was a firmly held superstition in New England by the time the Salem witch hunts happened. Of course. 
The migration of these beliefs is why you still hear some folks who believe that if a black cat crosses your path, it's bad luck, and also why they pop up in shows like Sabrina the Teenage Witch and Hocus Pocus. It, which is funny because in all of those versions, the black cat's actually not evil. No, but they are associated with witches. Yeah, no, I just I just think it's funny that... Oh, like, yeah. Well, like, we take it back. Yeah, like, exactly. Mm, we love those kitties. All right, so Europe and North America. Black cats have the reputation of being unlucky. Italy, also not a fan. It's a long-held belief that if a black cat jumps on your bed in Italy, you're going to either die or at the very least become very, very sick. I would be dead already. <laughs> but while Italy is over here being afraid of black cats and the fact that they will make them sick, Celtic nations like Ireland, Scotland, Wales, etc. have a bunch of positive associations with black cats. Yay! In fact, Welsh lore states that black cats will bring you good health. A Welsh folklore... <laughs> what the fuck? Why do I always call it folklore? Folklore. <laughs> It's just it's just a bunch of rumors about different types of forks. <laughs> a a Welsh folklore rhyme <laughs> from 1896 says when translated into English, I'm not going to try and say it in its original language. Uh, a black I've heard it said can charm all ill away and keep the house wherein she dwells from fever's deadly sway. That's cute. Oh, I know. Let, like that belongs on a embroidery. Yes. Embroider it for me. <laughs> and although there are some malevolent mythological creatures that take the form of a black cat within these regions, overall a black cat's arrival at a new home signifies prosperity. Black cats in Japanese culture are also supposed to be good luck, particularly for the single ladies. I'm a single ladies. I'm a single ladies. I'm a single ladies. Get your cats up. <laughs> it's said that black cats owned by single women will help their ladies be lucky in love. Which that goes very widely against the crazy cat lady myth. That I know. are often perpetuated. But you know what? I think Evie was a pretty big part in getting Steve. He loves that cat. I'd love to say Fizzgig played a part in that, but Fizzgig is just a bitch. She <laughs> she played a part in me liking you. There you go. That's true. I we re I recently came across my uh, Facebook memories where it said, "I miss Brittany, and Brittany misses my cats." <laughs> When we were no longer roommates. <laughs> uh, in Japanese culture, they are also thought to be a symbol of wealth as well as prosperity. The fortune cats, or you're probably going to be able to say this better than me, uh, Maneki Neko. Little waving. Oh, yes. I know what you're talking about. Yep, 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 yep. Okay. So it's the little cat figurines that ra with the raised paws that are meant to draw good luck. Wealth prosperities to their owners. Yeah, it was doing the waving thing, but you can't see this because this is a podcast. It just makes me so happy. I know. And although you will often see them as white cats, they are also, they also come in black cats. And gold cats. There's a lot of them. They're and great. a black lucky cat will not only bring you luck and prosperity, but it also frightens away demons. 
Hell yeah. Evil energy. Hell yeah. And even stalkers. Hell yeah. We can deal with demons and evil energy, but stalkers can fuck right off. For real, though. Bad. Yep. Bad people. Yep. In the traditional Chinese practice of feng shui, which uses energy forces to harmonize individuals with their surrounding environment, black cats are said to possess strong powers of good. If you keep your black cats happy and safe, they will keep you happy and safe. And if you don't have a black cat in real life to guard your home, a black cat figurine facing north will keep bad energy and bad spirits away. All right. So a lot of positive lore about black cats has to do with protecting you from bad energy and bad spirits. I like that. Yeah. And to close out the lore of black cats, I have some superstitions from across the world about black cats that didn't really fit with what I already told you. Okay. You'll notice that there are some good ones from Europe because they're not always considered bad luck. Also, credit where credit is due. Most of these came from caster.com. Catster.com. Catster. So. It's like Napster. You illegally download cats. Yes. I'm here for it. Yeah. I'll download all the cats. All right. So You wouldn't download a car, but I would download a cat. (laughs) I would too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, so sailors knew that having a cat on the ship was good because again, cats eat the rats. And a lot of times if they were, if they were doing long trips too, the rats would get into their supplies. Exactly. Yeah. Not only are they disease ridden, but they'd eat all the food that the sailors are like, Hey, that's ours. And some sailors believe that having a black cat specifically on board would bring good health. Again, because the rats brought diseases with them, which actually circles back to Bastet, the protector against contagious diseases. Nice. It's all coming full circle. It's all coming together, Bringing it around. Bringing it around. Though, if a black cat walked onto a ship and then walked off again, yikes. If that happens, it's believed that the ship will sink on its next voyage. Well, yeah, because the cat walked in, felt the energy, and was like, "Huh, fuck this piece," Dude, and then that, walked back off. That's literally what I said. Which I said was maybe the result of the black cat, or hear me out, maybe they knew <laughs> it was going to sink, and they were like, "Nah, man, nah, nah I'm good. I'm, I'm not, not going to do this. I'm a cat. I don't like water. I'm going to swim." English superstition says that giving a bride a black cat on her wedding day will bring her a good luck in her marriage. It's also thought that newlyweds with a black cat in their home will have a long, happy life together, and the black cat will ward off evil spirits. You, you y'all and Evie. I'm saying. There you go. She helped me get him, and now she's going to help keep us happy. There you go. Black cats in the audience help a play. To theater folks in many cultures... There is no better audience member than a black cat. If a black cat finds its way into your audience on opening night, your play will have a long and prosperous run. You should start renting out Evie. Oh my God, she would hate that so much. We need to get a more sociable black cat. Yeah, we cat. need to get a sociable black and cat. And we'll start renting it out to the playhouse, being like, yeah. we will bring this cat to your opening night. But we also get to go to... Yeah, that's our fee. We will give yeah. you the good luck cat and it will sit <laughs> and we will watch it and we will care for it and we will make sure that it stays calm. Yeah. And but we just need to get him for free. Yeah. I love that. I'll I will bring that up to Wes at the playhouse. <laughs> just kidding. He doesn't know me very well. I think that would be a really weird way for him to know me. 
try to score free tickets by saying she'd bring a cat? I don't get it. I really don't understand. <laughs> I was like, do you even know about theater at all? <laughs> I learned about it this week. <laughs> do your research. <laughs> Uh, in certain parts of the world, it is said that if a black cat gets accidentally soaked, out of res- out of revenge, the cat will make it rain. <laughs> oh, this is good. this is a good one, Kayla. Okay. In France, black cats can lead to treasure. All right. Mm-hmm. Evie. <laughs> kitty, kitty, kitty. It's been long believed that black cats invite not only fortune in the way of good luck, but also in the way of wealth. French peasants long believed that if a black cat was released at a crossroads where five roads intersect, the black cat would lead them to treasure. Evie, Auntie Kayla's property taxes just went up. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, In the south of France, black cats have been called. Now, this is a French word. And in my brain, I keep wanting to call it maggot. And that is not correct. I think it's <laughs> mego. Is it OT? It's like it ends in OT? Yeah. Okay, yeah. That sounds right to me because I remember that from French classes that like an OT is usually like an O. Oh. Yeah. So, matago. M-A-T-A-G-O-T. Matho? Other, yeah. Otherwise known as magician cats. Oh, cute. Or even money cats. So if shown proper respect, like being given the first bite of dinner, having a nice bed to sleep in, or having a home even after their owner's death, the magician cat or lucky cat will reward their person with wealth and good luck. I like that. Yeah. Now, this belief does have some ties with the black cats and the negative connotations of witchcraft, But it can also be looked at as those who do not treat their cats well will get their comeuppance. Okay, okay. No more monsters, people. Don't be (laughs) monsters to the black cats. They don't deserve it. They're beautiful. (laughs) You just keep getting so emotional during this this story. You're just just like, I love them so much. <laughs> the amount of times I've told Evie when she's scared, I was like, "Don't worry, no one will hurt you. If anyone ever tries, I'll stab a bitch." I believe that the one time I would see you get into a fight, it would be over Evie. Yeah, not over Steve, not over Hillary. Not, they can no, take care of themselves. No. Evie, Evie, Evie will be what leads you to a fight. Yeah, <laughs> stab a bitch who tried to hurt my cat. Have you seen that? Those I think you might have sent me one of them that I've seen. Where they interview moms and say, would you kill for your child? And the moms generally are like yeah. pretty like, mm, oh, uh, like, like they might say yes, but like they're like justifying it. And then every time it's like stitched by somebody with a cat being like, I would kill the, I would burn the world for you. I would murder everyone for you. <laughs> Cities will crumble for you. <laughs> Yeah, that's basically it. Don't ever try and hurt my cat. Legit. Uh, When your black cat sits down for a good grooming, you better pay attention. Your cat is telling you company is imminent and they are preparing themselves to look their best. Evie just disappears. Not anymore. Around you. But everybody else. Other people, yeah. Yeah. No, you're special. And even then, I get all of two seconds before Evie's like, well, gonna go find my my hidden corner now. (laughs) 
Not anymore. Do you remember when she played in front of you and exposed her belly? For 10 seconds and then went, I'm going to go find my hidden corner now. I'm, I'm accepting that Evie is learning to accept me. I'm happy about it. Yeah. I'm just saying. I mean, you guys always wear the same outfit. <laughs> She's like, I recognize her. She's like me. <laughs> Kayla's literally sitting here in... Black socks, black pants, a black sweatshirt, a black hat with black headphones that have black horns on them, and a black bracelet. (laughs) Gee, I wonder why she accepts you as a a bean. (laughs) Uh, This one's weird. In Appalachian folklore, it says that if you have a sty in your eye, rubbing the tail of a black cat on it will make the sty go away. Don't rub a cat's tail in your eye. Well, you're going to get... Like fur in it. That would hurt. I'm not even thinking about the fur aspect. Hear me out. Cats are very clean. Right. But they also use a litter box. Yeah. And you know what causes pink eye? Feces. Yeah. 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 Just don't rub a cat's tail in your eye, please. Don't rub anything in your eye. Yeah, just don't. Like, (laughs) clean. Clean. Clean your eye with You're going to put contacts in, wash your hands first. Yeah. You know, standards. You know. Uh, And lastly, dreaming of a black cat means different things, and it usually depends on your feelings about black cats. Okay. Seems legit. Yeah. Uh, Generally, dreams about black cats means something magical and wonderful is ready to happen to you. Or (laughs) (laughs) they can be the foresight of bad news about to arrive in your life. Either way, it's not the cat's fault. They're just warning you. I know. Yep. Yeah, it's just, it's literally a warning. Not, like, the cause. Cause and correlation, man. We got to figure this out. Correlation does not equal causation. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, But, yeah, so that was some lore about black cats. And now I get to go listen to what Em has to say about them. I love it. I'm here for it. I have a listener story. Really? Yeah. Yay! We just got it today. What? Like, shortly before I left for here. What? What good timing you have, person. Excellent timing. So this was sent via our website, um, Anonymous. Okay. And they were really awesome when they submitted it. They said, hey, my fabulous spooky people. I love that. I have a recent experience you'll enjoy. Love it. Do we get pronouns? She, they. Oh, thank you for normalizing pronouns, she, they. Thank you. So... I work at a pharmacy that is in a building that is over 70 years old. As far as I know, no one has died here. But it hasn't stopped the stories. I was working a Saturday shift where it is just me and one other person, and I clearly heard footsteps stomp behind me, and it knocked something off a bookshelf that is notorious for bouncing things off of its shelves. Oh, fun. (laughs) As people walk by, old building problems. Uh Uh-huh. But no one was within 10 feet of that entire walkway. I've also had the same thing happen every so often, but in a completely different section of the pharmacy. I mentioned it to someone who used to work here, and they replied with, Oh yeah, that place is haunted. And they shared similar experiences with me. Another time, I joked about it to an inspector that was in, and he told me his mom used to own the bookstore next to the pharmacy, And the weird stuff he heard and saw growing up definitely gave me more evidence to this building being haunted. That is so cool to have so many, like, resources to talk about. Oh, yeah. 
what this building was like in the past. So cut to a night a few months back, and I'm working a surprise 15-hour shift. I'm the only one in the store, and it is closed, and I jokingly say, all right, if anyone is here, I'm cool with it. Just let me do my work. Legit. I like that. Respect, mm-hmm. but acknowledgement, like being asked to be left alone. Yeah. And then proceeded to have a quiet night of listening to your podcast. However, I regret that it was the elevator game episode because that's a whole <laughs> lot of nope. <laughs> and no footsteps or events. Oh, good. At this point, it's important to mention that my store key is on my backpack on a full key ring, which is on my zipper on my backpack that lives in a side pocket. All my other house keys are on the exact same ring. I am mentioning this because I had it to unlock in the morning. But when I went to lock up at midnight, the key was nowhere to be found. All of my other keys on that ring were there, but this one was missing. That was a few months ago. The key has not been seen to this day. What? Too long didn't read. This ghost is a practical joker. And if they are reading this over my shoulder as I am typing this, (laughs) I want my key back. Wait, I... I want to know how they locked up the pharmacy at the end of the night. Yeah, I'm. Did you? If if you think about it, you do not have to reveal who you are. Right. If you could hop on that submission again. Yeah. And just tell me, like, how did you lock? Do you have to call somebody at midnight? Did you have to call a coworker at midnight and be like, "Hey, um, so funny story. The ghost stole my key, and uh, this is a pharmacy, so we cannot leave it unlocked." There are so many things in here that people would use to try and. Poison children at Halloween. Obviously. Did you have to stay there the whole night? Like, did you have to, like, hang out until the morning shift came in? Because you didn't want to call anybody at midnight? Right. Because I would totally call a, call somebody at midnight so I didn't have to hang out there. Yeah, but who's going to answer? I will spam call until somebody <laughs> answers that damn phone. I'm like, I am here. I have looked everywhere. I am not staying here anymore. This ghost is a jerk, man. <laughs> And at first you thought you were cool because you're like, you do you, I'll do me, like, we'll just, we'll just coexist, you know? And then they're like, (laughs) nope. That turns out that's the whole reason they didn't give you any ghostly activity. Right. Because they were like, oh, they think that they can tell me what to do. I'll show you. Well, they that's the noise. It, that's the noise it takes to get a key off of a key ring. I hate getting things off a of key ring. Oh, it hurts your nails. I mean, I do it all day, but it's still annoying. Oh, that's right. You do have to do that all day. <laughs> yeah, I do. What do you do when you have fake nails? Does that help? Fake nails help massively. Mm, that's good. That's good. That's good. I'm I've constantly breaking nails if I have to try and unring a key. <laughs> if you have a paranormal experience you would like to share with us, you can do so by emailing us directly, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page, or you can get there through the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous, as this submission did, or you can include your name, whatever you are more comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. What's on your socks? Because I'm the dungeon master, that's why. And as a 20-sided die, it's on the bottom of her foot. <laughs> so I just So when you put your now. feet up on the table, you're just like, yeah, what? Because I'm the DM, that's why. <laughs> you can also follow us on social media. We are on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. I wish you the cutest kids 
in costumes on your doorstep. The safest parties that you could go to. No drinking and driving. Please don't. All the fun times of any kind that you hope to enjoy. I hope that this spooky season wraps up in the best way for you. And that it's warm enough so if you do outdoor shows, you're not freezing your butt off. That's all we can hope for. I know. All right, we love you and appreciate you. It's true, we do. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! By the way, if you made it through these end credits, everybody, I'm still not dead. The Mentos and Coke thing is totally a hoax. Okay, bye.